Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cacciolillo, and today I got a co-host with us, Adam Lippi, and our guest today is Liz Priestley. Welcome to the show, Liz. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks for helping me out, Adam. Oh, absolutely, Gary. And uh, Liz was in the movie Concrete Cowboy, which was filmed in Philadelphia, and it starred Method Man. <laughs> Yes, among among other people. Yes, Method Man was definitely in it. Sure. As as was Idris Elba. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it's slightly a bigger name, but yes, Idris Elba, Method Man, Caleb McLaughlin. It was just an embarrassment of riches that I got to be in the middle of. So, yep. Well, tell the audience what the movie's about, because because uh, you know it's. It, it, I, I realize that uh, I think the movie doesn't have distribution yet. I know it played at a couple of festivals. Correct. Uh, Toronto, yeah. and then uh, last week it played at uh, what Middleburg. Middleburg. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, I wish I knew a release date to tell you guys, but unfortunately, we're sort of being kept in the dark about it. But what the story is about, it's it's really unique because it is a father-son story at its heart. You know, it's about um, this boy who's acting up. He's from Detroit, um, acting up in school, getting kicked out in multiple places, you know, just driving his mom generally crazy. And she just is like, I've done, I've done what I can. This is, I'm at the end of my rope. I cannot deal with you anymore you need your father in your life so she drives him in the middle of the night to his father's doorstep in philadelphia and drops him on the doorstep and it just so happens that his father is the leader in this gang of black cowboys in the heart of philadelphia and so the unique part of the story is that it's this father-son story set against the framework of this actual historical setting um, because so many people, myself included, until I was cast in this, had no idea that there are black cowboys in Philadelphia and pretty much every major city in the U.S. and they've been there since the Civil War. And like I said, this is my, this was my introduction to this group. So, um, you know, it's part, yeah, it's part, you know, a dramatic storytelling and then it's also part historical as well. Now did, as preparation, did they have you watch uh, Fire on the Hill? They did not. You know, it's funny. As far as preparation, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't think anybody realized me personally. I, I was going to be a character riding a horse. So my preparation actually involved me learning how to stay on a horse for, oh, okay. <laughs> for more than 10 seconds. <laughs> Well, for the yeah. audience who doesn't know, Fire on the Hill is a documentary about black cowboys in Compton. Yes. Uh, um, and I was I, the other one I was going to say, one, one I've seen is called Black Rodeo from the 70s. Uh, so I've never seen Black Rodeo, um, but I've heard, I've heard about it. And I want to say Idris watched it. No, maybe it was Lorraine. I, somebody on the, in the cast watched it. That name I did hear. Um, it, maybe it was Idris. It might have been. I'm not sure. So um, 
in the the book is kind of uh, more uh, of a novel aimed at uh, teenagers, but the yeah. film is R rated. Um, yeah. Was there uh, an adjustment made in terms of tone, or is it just more of the language that's used that's a little bit more um, for adults? What's the difference? Yeah, I think, I mean, because I've read the book. I read it before uh, we filmed. And yeah, the book is definitely, you know, aimed at sort of the the young adult set. It's, you know, I don't want to say it's... um, like it doesn't gloss over anything, but it does, it definitely is presented in sort of a G rated or like PG type of way. Whereas our movie, I think what the director Ricky Staub was trying to do was really go in depth in sort of the emotions and, you know, all the things that come with when, you know, when you feel abandoned by the people who you, who you're closest to. So I think, you know, from from the perspective of the main character, I think they really wanted to take that further than what the book kind of gives. Um, so yeah, there's more, there's definitely more language, a couple more adult type situations in terms of like, he's, you know, got like a romance in, the, in our movie. Um, so things like that. But I would say probably mostly language, maybe a little, maybe a little more violent, but not, not too much. Do you think, uh, well, I guess the follow-up question would have to be, had you had a chance to see the movie? Because it only played at festivals so far. I have not seen it. I, you know, I've only seen um, like 30 seconds of it because I had to come back in a couple months later after everything had been shot and edited. Um, I had to come back in and do some additional uh, dialogue recording because you know most of my scenes were outside so um I, you know when I got to come in I got to see the little bit that they threw up on the screen that I had to match with my voice and just that little 30 seconds I was like nearly in tears I mean part of it was you know the fact that it's like oh my gosh it's my face like <laughs> you know um but it was also just like oh my gosh look at that it's shot so beautifully and like it just it I don't know. They made Philly just look so really just like beautiful. I mean, Philly is beautiful, but people, you know, forget that sometimes. And the way this is shot, it just makes Philly just look almost otherworldly in a way. But I have not seen the whole thing. It's just kind of a bummer. They didn't even give you like a fine cut or a, a no. rough cut? No, no. No. And and I know they were trying for a while to get a screening together in Philly for the cast and crew. Um, but COVID really, really kind of made that impossible. Uh, but they were trying up until uh, like, I think, July or August of this year to get that together. And they just were not able to um, make that happen. I know they did a, like a drive-through screening in Los Angeles um, the night before it debuted at the Toronto Festival, but you know, obviously, I wasn't there for that one. So, so um, Ricky's uh, other film, a short film mm-hmm. that I've seen called The Cage, mm-hmm. has has because because I've not seen um, Concrete Cowboy, right. um, uh, I, I don't know whether it retains this, but the one scene that is available online is a very surreal sequence where a boy walks into his father's house and there's a horse in the living room. Um, that's from our movie, yeah. That's no, I know, the, but, yeah. but the ca- the cage has a similar mix of surrealism, yes, and um, and you know uh, a a certain uh, 
improv sense mixed with, I would say, a bit Terrence Malick. Um, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't know whether that was retained in the film. I mean, obviously you haven't seen it, but is that sort of how the script plays as well? Although maybe it's sort of like more, because you, in the cage, he's working with non-actors and mm-hmm. you're obviously a real actor. And then there's other, you know, real actors in the film, more mm-hmm. professional with more experience. Mm-hmm. Did he give you a little bit more freedom to improvise or was it very stick, you know, strict, stick to the script sort of thing? You know, that's a really great question. And that's interesting that you brought that up because in our film, um, you know, we shot, in Fletcher Street Stables, which is in North Philadelphia. And like 60% of the cowboys that appear in our film are actual cowboys at Fletcher Street. So he did work with a bunch of, you know, non-actors for um, the majority of the film. So most of Idris's scenes, um, most of Method Man's scenes are all with these actual real life cowboys. And in matter of fact, one of the lead roles, um, is played by someone who's never acted before and was a, is actually a cowboy there. Um, and then as far as my scenes, um, it was so funny because actually my very first day, the very first scene that I shot, you know, it didn't have any, um, there was no really uh, any written dialogue. It was just, you know, I'm up on a horse with Caleb McLaughlin and then Idris Elba's on a horse next to us. And the scene really was between those two and I was just supposed to react. But what I found so interesting was that as soon as we got up on the horse, they started improving, and I'm looking around like, are we rolling? Where's the camera? Like, did we start? I had no idea. And they just, they kept it up the whole time, whether the cameras were rolling or not. And I do think, um, in the film itself, there's a, there's a bunch of stuff that's been improved that they kept in there. Um, and actually, so I had, most of my scenes were with Caleb, but I had one day really with, with Idris to film our big scene. And that was all improved. Um, yeah, they, they gave us total reign to do whatever. Um, <laughs> It's funny because later, like the next day I was on set and I was chatting with the director while we were on a rain delay, basically. And he made a comment. He's like, I'm surprised you didn't improv a kiss with Idris. And I said, well, it wasn't in the script. I didn't think I should do it, you know, because it's, you know, it's my first film. I didn't want to be that person that's like, well, since I'm here, let me just, you know, grab him. And he's like, no, I just figured you would. And I, I had to laugh because I was like, I really didn't even know that we had that much freedom as far as improv was going. I, I was like, let me just stick with what's written so I don't overstep my boundaries. So I could have gone, I could have done more, actually. Well, what would you, what would you have improvised apart from a kiss? Yeah, um, I think I would have improvised a little more dialogue at the end. Um, I don't want to give away too much, but it's a very emotional um, moment. And, you know, this isn't giving anything away. But, you know, as I said, it's, you know, when I when I drop my son off to his father, he's never met his father in 15 years, which means he and I have also not seen each other in 15 years. So um, when we do finally see each other, it's just a very powerful, emotional moment. Um, I believe they wrote it 
without dialogue because it really just doesn't need it. But if I were to go back, I might have thrown in a few more things I could have said. Um, it just was really was improving a lot during that. And so once he once he kind of started, I felt a little more comfortable to do that. But yeah, definitely if we were if I had the chance to go back, I probably would um, improv more dialogue in that scene and really just kind of respond in the moment to like the emotion of what that character was feeling. Would you have improv something from like Susical the Musical? Because I know you've done it. <laughs> You've done that in your past, but <laughs> um, I don't think it would fit there. Only because that character, she was, you know, sour kangaroo. She's she's kind of nasty. She's kind of mean. My character in this movie, she's not mean. She's just frazzled. So I, I mean, but I have improv some musical here and there in life. So I mean, you never know. You never know. Whatever you're feeling in the moment. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a funny question. (laughs) (laughs) That's so great. You know, Uh, actually, I didn't, you know, I didn't improv Susical, but I will tell you something. So between takes, we were just kind of sitting there waiting for them to reset the camera. And I was like, I will never forgive myself if I don't go over there and like, try to chit chat with Idris Elba like because who knows what I'm going to be able to do this again so I went over there and I was talking to him and I said oh you know I'm really impressed that like among like not only are you an actor and a producer and a director um you're also a DJ and now you're a rapper as well and he was like I'm not a rapper I was like dude I was listening to your song Boasty that came out in the UK I was listening to it on the way down here to set he started laughing at me and I was like, um, I was like, no, 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 dude, I, I actually know it so well that, and then I rapped the last line of, of his verse in that song to him. I am not a rapper. And so he laughed in my face. <laughs> I didn't care. I was like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Uh, it's done. And it's done. He says his line in the song is um, basically that he writes he writes all his raps himself. But the line is, and I write for myself, no ghosty. But of course, it sounds cooler when he says it in his accent and on the beat. So I didn't do that. I just said to him, I was like, you're definitely a rapper and you write for yourself, no ghosty. And he just lost it and laughed in my face. And I was like, I don't even care. I don't even care. It's done. I did it. <laughs> Um, so one of the, the things that's different, I guess, from the book is that they, they made an adjustment, right? Or was this in the script from, from turning your character from, from like a junkie to a nurse, right? Yeah, they did that in the, um, the audition process. Actually, I was still auditioning for it when they changed it. And I was like, are you changing it because I'm not convincing as a junkie? Or <laughs> it was like, I wasn't really sure because, you know, my first audition, I went in there. I mean, I looked. I looked like a junkie. I have never looked like that before for an audition in my life. But um, not even when it was Susical, you didn't do it then. <laughs> no, I mean I was like 20 years old when I did Susical, so I probably looked very young and chipper. And <laughs> this one, no, I mean I was up for days. I I did some things with makeup, like I gave myself really dark circles and like a bright, you know, kind of a redder 
nose and like red eyes. And um, I mean, I like, I, yeah, I looked like a hot mess. But by the second um, audition, they they had cut the scene that they originally called me in to do where she's getting like evicted from her apartment. So they cut that scene from the script and they're like, it's not gonna be in there anymore. And we rewrote part of it. And I was just like, oh crap, what do I do? Do I change what I've been doing? Or do I keep doing what I'm doing? And my manager was like, just keep doing what you've been doing because they haven't given any notes that say we don't like it. So just keep it up. But by the time I went in the third time, all of that was gone, all of it. And I was just like, should I change? And they were like, nope, just keep doing what you're doing. Um, I, I'm glad they did away with it. It's closer to the source material. And we've seen that. We've seen that character. We've seen that many, many times. It doesn't need to be redone. So I'm glad they moved away from it. You think that accounts for why they changed the title from Ghetto Cowboy to Concrete Cowboy? Yeah. To I, be less of that? Yeah, there were there were discussions about that that I, I was a part of. I mean, I didn't have any influence on that whatsoever, but I knew it was shared with me that like, well, look, you know, we don't have a problem with the name Concrete, I mean, Ghetto Cowboy, but, you know, if you heard the name, what would you think it was about? Or like, would you buy a ticket to it? And I was like, well, yeah, it might give me a little pause. So they were like, yeah, we changed it to Concrete Cowboy. I was like, you know, it makes a certain amount of sense um, if you're trying to make your movie more marketable. But, I, you know, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm, I mean, not, I'm not if, a marketing person, so I guess it makes sense on a certain it, level. <laughs> if you called it Ghetto Cowboy, and my mind went there, and no one else is going to, but... I would have thought it was one of those knockoff um, direct-to-video movies with um, uh, Ice T, uh, yeah, um, uh, Snoop Dogg, and Silk the Shaka made in 1998 or something. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That Albert Pune made, you know, five at a time <laughs> in, abandoned, in abandoned buildings in Romania. So that's just for all the Albert Pune. Yeah, fans, you know I mean, like I said, it certainly makes sense, uh, you know, on a certain level because, yeah, that is. That is probably what we would think of. So I'm, I'm glad they did it. You know. Now I realize I've been kind of unfair because uh, I didn't introduce myself at all. And, uh, uh, and you didn't really get a formal, who are you, except to, to pitch your, your wares. But I figured getting into the questions right away uh, <laughs> would, would, would be, uh, I don't know, slightly different. Um, but uh, um, I, I didn't know if uh, Gary, you wanted me to uh, explain who I was, or it was better if I just like you know Orson Welles narrating over something and no one can know who I am. Of course, you can introduce yourself, man. You know, my show is always chaos. That's yes. So uh, uh, for those who haven't heard, I have been on Gary's show before a couple months ago. I'm Adam Lippy. I'm the writer, producer, director of Wait, Wait, Don't Kill Me, which is a viral pandemic movie. Uh, it takes place in inner city Philadelphia, specifically nice town about two miles away from where uh, C- concrete cowboys was shot and on about one fiftieth of the budget. Um, <laughs> and uh, although I don't, I guess I don't know the final budget on your film, but, but I, uh, I'm assuming it, it's uh, whatever, um, you know, the, the cab ride to from, for Lee Daniels from the set to his house <laughs> cost about what my, my budget was. Um <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, so um, I, I'm I'm a, also a former film critic and, and used to host a podcast. So uh, Gary brought me in as a I guess a specific Philadelphia film expert who has a movie coming out uh, uh, at the end of this week, October 23rd, and you can go see it. It's called Wait Wait Don't Kill Me. Uh, but this interview is really to focus on Liz. Um, 
and uh, uh, I don't want to take up any more of her time um, <laughs> uh, identifying who I am. But uh, just just assume that that uh, anyone listening to this that um, I didn't just come up with these questions out of thin air, nor did I appear out of thin air. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. You know, I don't know. I don't know what the final um, budget on our movie was, but I will tell you, I don't think it's anywhere near what people think it is. It was, you know, a SAG ultra low budget film. So, oh, well, mine was um, a SAG new media and at a budget in which uh, you could, uh, we'll just say that the initial budget was um, uh, to the point where I didn't have to pay SAG up front. We'll just say. Oh yeah, there you go. Okay, so hmm. <laughs> that that gives the that gives a. a I mean, it looks like mind. it costs more than that because you know eventually yeah. it always costs more than that. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it 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 looks like it costs probably eight or nine times what it did. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, as as I'm assuming your film does as well. Yes, um, exactly. It's it's so funny because then you hear. Like I have people who come to me, they're like, oh my gosh, you know, this is like your, you know, this is a big deal. You and Idris, you probably, you were making bank. I was like, that money is gone. Like that money was gone last year. Like, I don't know what bank you think I was making, but no, like no, <laughs> that money has been gone. I, I, I know what you would, would have been paid and I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. But either way, I mean, honestly, they could have been like, Liz, we can't pay you. I would have been like, cool, I'll still do it. Like, it's Idris Elba. You would have done deferred on it? On it? You would have Absolutely. Taken it. Just, are you kidding? You can be in the same shot as Idris Elba. We can't pay you, but no, no problem. No problem. I'm there. What time do you need me? Like, it's Idris Elba. It's fine. It's fine. I'm glad they paid me, but I would have done it just <laughs> next to him and been like, I was in the same shot as Idris Elba. You know. It was so um, uh, because uh, you know, what's funny, uh, because I made my movie in Philadelphia, you know, I shot mine in 2015 and 2017, but it wasn't finished, the movie itself, until March of 2020. Mm. Uh, going through your cast list and my cast list, there's a ton of overlap. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because nobody makes movies in Philadelphia because the, the uh, tax credit is so bad in Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they make about, you know, one major movie a year or one yeah. major TV show here. Basically, um, yeah. So it was funny going through it and I go, oh, I know that guy. Oh, I know who that is. Yeah, no, he auditioned for me. Uh, but it's funny cause, because it's just like, uh, you know, uh, I, uh, whenever I would get headshots of anybody um, in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. um, it, would, uh, it would all have like the same eight credits on it. Um, oh, that is so funny. Everybody had always worked on the TV show <laughs> Hack at some point. Yeah. Uh, um, and everyone was in... Uh, was in every other thing. Now I shot my film before Creed came out, so right, right, right. So I didn't have I didn't have that, but I saw the same eight credits over and over and over. It's so and- funny because you won't find any of those credits on my resume. <laughs> oh, are you in a bunch of those movies too? No, I was not on any of those. Okay. I haven't been on any of those. Because <laughs> I know I, I read that this was your first film, but I didn't know if it was like your real first film or like you know the the way that like people who have you know mid-level roles in my film were extras in tons and tons of things before oh i got you and it just it on imdb it'll say uncredited spider-man 3 or something you know i gotcha no this is uh, this was my first time on a film set i did a a a student film at temple university the year before Mm -hmm. uh i did a short film and then um after that, I just did some, like, I've done three commercials. 
Mm-hmm. And while I was shooting the third commercial, they called me and said I got the part for this one. So, um, wait, no, they, you, did, you didn't even have to audition? You just got? Oh the no, part? no, no! I mean, I was I oh. had auditioned three times, but oh, okay. I was away filming when I finally got the the call. But um, no, this is this is my first film at all. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's the first time I was ever on like a set or anything like that. I mean, like I. I've never really been an extra or anything like that. And that was always something I was like, I got to look into doing this. I got to figure out how I can be an extra so I can like work my way up. That was always like on the to-do list. And then, you know, I got this role, but um, yeah, it's so funny. Cause it's like, I, you know, I showed up on set and they, first of all, they, they almost didn't let me in because they thought I was just some random woman in Philly trying to get on the set. Cause apparently they had a lot of that. So, um, security almost didn't let me in because they were like, we don't recognize you. And then they finally let me in and they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. We're going to bring you to your trailer. And I was like, I have a what now? Like that blew my mind. I was just not, you know, I'm thinking, okay, where's the holding area? Like the room where they have all the kind of nobodies hanging out. And they were like, no, you have a trailer. Yeah. The whole thing was super surreal. It was awesome. It was awesome. When you're working on a super low budget movie, the holding is where everyone is. That's what I was like. Where? Where's the room that we <laughs> all? There's no special. To? There's no specialized part. Uh, 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 you know, little part of the of the room just because uh, you have ten lines that day. Yeah, I was just like, wait, I get a what? Like, yeah, that just it blew my mind. It was, it was so funny. And then also too, like filming in Philly is an experience um, that I've never had, you know, like the, the commercials I've done were either in New York or um, I was in Uruguay when I got the call for this one. I shot a safe auto commercial in Uruguay. I don't know why. (laughs) How how was shooting in Philly different for you? It was like, so when, okay, perfect examples. When we shot in Uruguay, right? Everything, the we were outside, same thing, you know, but everything was blocked off. There were not people around um, on the set. Everything was just kind of shut down and we just were like in and out. And then in Philly, we're doing my scene with, with Idris and it's like right off screen, like right behind the camera, there was like just a crowd of 70 something women just women um all just there to see Idris Elba and it was the craziest thing because between takes they were so loud uh it was just it was like it was unreal I've never seen anything like it's like one of those things you read about but then when you actually see it you're just like holy crap how do you deal with this um and then (laughs) between like between takes whenever we'd have to restart and I'd have to go back to my starting position I could hear them whispering to themselves like who is that I don't recognize her I don't like her why does she get to hug him I don't recognize this woman you know and they're trying to figure out like who I am it was hysterical because I'm just like I'm just here to do my job (laughs) like you know they're trying to figure out who is this actress that's, that's hugging Idris Elba? I'm like, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you took auditioning classes at Ithaca. Yes. Uh, 
how did, uh, uh, and I realize I'm giving background information when we haven't even given you any at all. Let's just keep it a mystery, <laughs> whatever. So let's just say I, I, like, I know how that. How do you know that? That's, this is crazy. <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, I did. Well, I was there. I was the one teaching them. That's how I know. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm only a couple more, a couple of years more old, uh, older than you, but I was somehow there. Um. Uh, so I was curious reading that because I, well, hearing that story, I think you told it on another show mm -hmm. and I was like, exactly. How do you, what does an auditioning class teach you? So the way the class was designed was they would bring in um, like people who were actually casting for either Broadway shows or national tours. And a few of them were Ithaca alumni, but not all of them. Um, but every week, so our class was every Friday, every Wednesday, you would get emailed, um, a show breakdown, like for an audition. So, you know, this week we're casting for the fantastics. Here's the parts, here's the breakdown, here's what you need to prepare. And you would have to go in every Friday, um, and do the audition. You'd have to go through the whole thing. And then immediately after everyone went through, you got, you know, feedback from the people who had come in. And it was, for me, in the beginning of that class, it was terrifying because I, I didn't like to audition. Um, I'd always felt like, gosh, can't you give us this information on like a Monday so I have a week to work on it and be really good to go by Friday um, instead of giving us, you know, two days to put something together. And the dance calls would always, you know, get me because I'm not, I've taken dance training for a few years, but I'm not really a strong dancer. So I would always just kind of fall apart in auditions halfway through because I'd be, you know, on myself the whole time. Like, gosh, I wish I could have done that better. And oh man, I just messed up. And oh man, you know. Um, and after the first few auditions like that and hearing the feedback in time, in real time, and most of the feedback was always, you know, you're good, you're better than you think you are, but you keep falling apart. You're not going to be able to do this for a living if you just keep falling apart every time you mess up. Like, you need to find a way to make this work. And then it just, you know, every week it was like a drill, just kind of going through it. And by the end of that year, um, I noticed, like, each audition, it just it wasn't as big a deal in terms of, like, the stress for me it was like exciting like oh i'm gonna sing this song this week or ooh, i can't wait for this dance call because oh okay i'm gonna practice with so-and-so or you know i just started looking forward to it and by the time i graduated because i took it as a well as a junior but when i by the time i graduated i was like auditions no longer phase me like that like i i look forward to them now um but it just had to do with going through the motions over and over and over and every week, you know, having to go through it and just pushing myself to each week, just be a little bit better than the week before. Um, so that was the class and, you know, it sounds basic, but it really did change my life because I, I just would have never been able to do this. Otherwise I fully believe that. It sounds more like they were, they were helping you deal with nerves more than anything else, not any strategy. Or what in, they want. in a way, because some some of the classes would also be like, um, like we had somebody who sat down with us and literally just spent a class being like, how here's how to format an uh, a resume, like because we had them, um, but 
they weren't, um, you know, they weren't really professional looking, I would say. So, um, you know, this New York casting director sat down with us and said, here's the, here's what I look for when I look at a resume. So, you know, they would teach us practical stuff like that. Um, and then they would also, you know, we would ask them stuff about the industry. We also did a showcase my senior year. And so a lot of those directors came back to help us prepare for the showcase. So it was a little bit more involved, but it really did. Yeah. A lot of it was probably helping with our nerves for sure. I mean, and like I said, just kind of going through it every week after a while, you just like, I, I, this doesn't make me nervous anymore. It's just kind of routine. Okay. I was, I, th- I thought because it was, cause, cause when I was in college, I went to Emerson college and uh, which is mostly for like radio and film mm-hmm. and, and musical theater Mm-hmm. And they made us take speech classes, which at first you think is kind of pointless. And then you realize, oh, it's actually really important in terms of standing in front of a, a group of people. Oh, and it yeah. meant that when I, when I taught uh, kids uh, in, in, public, in public school in New York City, mm-hmm. that I was not nervous at all. Mm-hmm. And, and I, it, it would just, it, you know, I used to have issues standing in front of a crowd. And then I just had absolutely none after that. Um, yeah, yeah. It's like that, exactly. It's exactly like that. Um, but it didn't necessarily teach me how to give speeches. It just, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, it just, but I, I figured if you're going to have something so specific as, you know, how to audition, they would actually teach you strategy where maybe, maybe every situation is so different that, mm-hmm. that there isn't anything. Is that it? Is that you can't really prepare for it? Yes and no. I mean, it's, it's different because each person's looking for something different, but it's the same in the sense that, you know, every time you go into the room, you know, you're nice to everyone from, from the parking lot, lot person all the way up, you know, and you go in, you, you gotta be, you know, smiling. You gotta be up, um, gotta be prepared, do your homework. Um, and then they go over basic things like, you know, make sure you hit your mark and make sure, you know, da, da, da. but yeah, each one is different. Each, you know, every musical that you audition for is going to be different because every song you come in with is different. And you know, um, cause I went for musical theater. So, um, you know, you're in the room, sometimes you're, you go in expecting to audition for, I don't know, the, the, the like stripper person in rent. And then halfway through the audition, they might say, you know what, we want to hear you sing for the lawyer. And you're like, okay. Um, you know, before I took that class, I wouldn't necessarily know how to just stop on a dime like that and change parts mid audition, I would have a freak out about that. I'd be like, Oh, I need, can I like take an hour or whatever? But you know, on audition, you don't have the luxury of taking an hour. You need to be able to do it right then. So that's kind of, those are the kind of things that class taught me is being able to, you know, uh, take whatever's thrown at you and, and, and still do your best and make yourself look good in the process, even if you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, so that's kind of what the class kind of helped us with. Now, how did you, was this kind of one of the first things you auditioned for movie-wise? Or how many, how um, many auditions did you go, go, go you through know, before? This, I think this was the first feature film that I had, I had auditioned for. You mentioned earlier, there was, you know, not a lot of, um, movies and shows uh shoot here there were a couple shows that were shooting here that year 
um, that I had been auditioning for. I actually auditioned for them a couple times. Um, like Kate Winslet's show that she's filming here. I auditioned a couple times for that. Um, Jason Siegel is doing a show down here. and I, I auditioned a couple times for that. Um, M. Night Shyamalan's doing a, a, a show. I don't know if it shoots here or if it was just an episode that shot here, but um, I had been in a couple times for that as well. But as far as feature films, yeah, I think this was the first one because other than that, I've just been auditioning for a lot of commercials and voiceovers. So, yeah. Did you do yeah. this through like like the, the, the big uh, uh, casting company in Philadelphia is Heary Loftus? Did you do it through mm -hmm. them? Yeah, yep. Harry Loftus, Diane Harry was the casting person for for Concrete Cowboy, and she, um, she was the person I was most focused on impressing actually at the audition because I didn't think I was seriously up for it. I thought, you know, maybe they're looking for a stand-in. I just figured they're not going to cast an unknown to be opposite Idris Elba. Like it's just not going to happen. Um, but I had been in front of Diane Harry for several auditions. And all of them were for like these very upbeat, um, like retail commercials. And I wanted her to see that I could do something dramatic. So that's really why I kind of pushed myself to do something different with this audition. Cause I just wanted her to be like, Oh, we can call in Liz for some dramatic stuff too. So uh, just for the sake of Gary's audience, who is uh, probably bored out of their mind, um, <laughs> Uh, not because of you, Liz, but because this is all sort of inside baseball stuff. That's, <laughs> I'm asking questions that I want to know the answer to. Yeah. Um, um, and and uh, we have certain things in common, although we've never met or talked or anything at all. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, and, and I'll get into some of the more specific ones in a minute. But for those listening, uh, it, the way the reason we're, why I made that reference earlier to uh, not many things being made here, in fact, uh, Liz just named all three things that are made here in the last year and a half, basically. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, in which I was aware of all the productions because I know everyone auditioning for it. Mm -hmm. They're in, you know, they're in my movie as well. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, uh, how it works is there's a, a $60 million tax credit in Pennsylvania that'll probably uh, get less now. <laughs> yeah. Now that yeah. we're in the middle of a pandemic yeah. uh, and there won't be any state funding. But how it worked was um, you, there's only $60 million. That sounds like a lot of money, but it's not really a lot of money because it's all the money that can go to tax credits for any production for the entire year in the state of Pennsylvania. Right. And right. you have to reserve it several years in advance. And it's pointless for a low budget movie to do it because you have to put up a minimum of about $5,000 in accounting because you're paying their accounting people. Um, and you have to do it. Um, you, their, their spots are reserved anywhere from uh, one to three years in advance. You've got to get a slot in order for you to then prove that you can get your 25% back on a tax credit. Um, so you have to have a lot uh, socked away and um, you have to prove how much of it was spent in Pennsylvania. And there's lots and lots of rules. Um, and they've had ver a variety of different reasons why they'll accept certain things. And, you know, you'll get one answer from one person and a different answer from another person. I'm sure it's all wonderful. Uh, I did not have the money to be able to do it in, up front. Uh, but, I mean, but, that's but, insane to me. That's, wow. Sure, I would God. think you'd want uh, a tax credit to be as big as possible because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it is uh, assuring 
that you will have lots and lots of people working all the time. You will have all the hotels rented out. You will have all the food purchased at local restaurants. You will have all the nightlife attended. You will hire local crew. It is such a no brainer. It's unbelievable. Right. Right. Um, but uh, to to explain why one would have to get political and that might offend some of Gary's audience, so I won't yeah. do that. Um, <laughs> um, d- don't, look, don't look into who Governor Corbett is. Um, <laughs> there, that answers you know any of that uh, you know sort of yep. backstory. But that's that's how that sort of thing happens in in California, for instance they extend the tax credit like every couple of years mm-hmm. and for every, every dollar they spend, they get 10 back. Um, it oh, is such, wow. it is such an obvious no brainer to do. Um, but, uh, for many, many years, how it worked was anytime there was a place that had gone through some sort of distress, whether mm-hmm. it be Detroit or new Orleans mm-hmm. or somewhere else, they would be the big tax credit place. And then all the low budget productions would move there and take advantage of it. And then, yep run them, run the money out. And then, and then some other place would be in terrible shape and they'd go there. Yeah. You know, Cause it, it went, it went, uh, uh, you know, when they couldn't afford to shoot in America, then they went to Vancouver and then that Vancouver prices itself out. And then everyone goes to Romania to shoot. And then <laughs> so, somehow then Detroit is worse off than Romania. So Michigan has a big tax credit. <laughs> <laughs> New Orleans has an, has, has a, has a hurricane in 2005. And so everyone starts making movies there from like 2007 on. And then, Val Kilmer makes some deal because he's running for uh, governor in New Mexico at some point. So then they, they bring in, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So these things are a moving target and Pennsylvania has never really taken advantage of it. Hence Liz naming three projects that are, that's pretty much it. That's it. That's it. That's all. (laughs) That's it for the year. Uh, uh, I remember very specifically when I was a film critic going to a film festival the 18th and a half uh, Philadelphia Film Festival, because the two had split at that point, and their opening film was um, a really uh, hilariously bad movie that was very expensive but happened to be shot in Philadelphia called <laughs> Law Abiding Citizen. Um, oh. Yeah. Um, which uh, uh, was, I guess, sort of a moderate hit, but is, is, uh, is ludicrous to a point of hilarity at times. And... <laughs> Uh, they were so proud of it that it opened the this festival. Now it is the opposite of a festival uh, movie. Right. It is as mainstream uh, yeah. a, a thing as possible. But the mayor at the time's in the movie for about a minute, so they really cared about it. And I realize I'm telling a story here that doesn't matter, but what I remember very specifically was I went to a, a pre-party for the festival, and they had mm-hmm. this very famous film guy there, Harlan something or other, um, and he was very drunk. And he was, it was just all critics and it was, uh, and, and then they had hired a bunch of women to be there to glom onto the critics in the most awkward way oh. you can imagine, just to oh. make it look glamorous. And so yeah. we're all just kind of awkward dudes because um, yeah. that's mostly who critics are. Um, <laughs> Um, <laughs> it's such there, a weird there, world there there is harlan drunk talking about how important this is talking about how he didn't want to show movies that were playing at the at the at the the big quote mall plex over and over and over oh um, my gosh and their opening movie was law-abiding citizen which is the most <laughs> mall plex movie that exists <laughs> but that gives you a sense of how little uh, film production occurs in Pennsylvania that they would open their festival like that. Um, and that yeah. there would be some sort of pride. Um, uh, if anybody hasn't seen that movie, it's very funny. 
I have seen it. (laughs) That is so funny. Yeah, there's just, you know, Philly is, for whatever reason, I just, I wish that we did have the money to bring more productions here because, you know, it's a beautiful city and there's so many stories here that could be told, but yeah, I mean, that's it. Those three that I mentioned, that that's it. Like, I keep just going in for those over and over and over. And I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, this one again? Oh, okay, yep. Like, I I think I've now auditioned for, like, six waitresses on um, Jason Siegel's show and, like, two security guards, a doctor and a nurse on, <laughs> like, Kate Winslet's show. Like, it's, you know, that's that's the only thing... Um, really shooting here and then you know I auditioned in like New York and other places but yeah I wish there was more going on in Philly I really do now you can you can uh, skip these next questions if you want because they're gonna get a little harder I hope that's okay <laughs> that's <fine>. <laughs> so um, uh, one of the things that occurred to me then and then became very evident when I watched uh, um, a TIFF um, uh, interview with the cast and mm-hmm. crew that uh, 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 when they was doing it, the, which is the Toronto Film Festival. Yes, um, is that uh, Lee Daniels, the producer of the film mm-hmm. and uh, director of uh, Precious and The Butler, amongst yes. other things, yes. um, was a little uneasy um, that Ricky Staub was a white dude. Yeah, uh, make, making a, making a, and I experienced the exact same thing. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, uh, because my film is uh, about inner city Philadelphia because I happened to live in Germantown when I was writing it. Exactly. Um, and uh-huh. I, I did not want it to look like me at all, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which which, of course, made it odd because it made it impossible to cast mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. uh, the leads in my film are a Hispanic man in his 40s and, a, and his wife, uh, a black woman in her late 30s. Um, and, uh, so, uh, I can't believe we've never met Liz. Um, <laughs> I was like, well, that, that sounds like me. <laughs> um, well, maybe it was all, you know, we, we shot, you know, it was cast in 2014, 2015 anyway, but, oh, well, um, yep, no, I would, um, but was cast in New York because we mm-hmm. couldn't find anybody in Philadelphia to do it. Mm. Um, but, uh, what is there? I, I'm, as I said, the questions get a little harder uh, no, and maybe more uncomfortable. Um, uh, I experienced the same thing that Ricky did, maybe not at, quite at that level. Um, sure. But uh, is there is there an inherent uneasiness when you have a white filmmaker making a, a film that theoretically should be told from a black perspective? Um, yeah, I think it's inherent. I think you know the reasons why are super obvious. I won't go into them, but yeah, I think that it is an inherent uneasiness in a in a sense because um, there's a real sense of like, well, this is our story, so we should be the ones telling it, and I fully understand it and I fully get it. However, I do think. Um, having done the film and having met Ricky Staub and talked with him um, and Idris to an extent, but, you know, kind of talked with him at length as to why they wanted to tell the story and how he was telling the story. I really, I can't think of a better person to have told this particular story. Um, So for, you know, for whatever it's worth, I think if people, 
if that's the only thing that would turn someone off to seeing this movie, I would tell them, give it a chance anyway, because it's beautifully done. Um, I think, you know, it kind of goes on with that whole, the whole thing coming up now about like, you know, do you think white actors should be voicing characters of color in cartoons and things like that? Um, I don't, I see where the argument comes from and I understand the validity of it. I also think that in a lot of cases, it really does come down to who's the best person for the job. And in this particular case with this film, um, I think what Ricky did is, is tremendous. I think it's beautiful. I think it's respectful. I think it's an ode to this city and to the cowboys that have been, you know, in a sense, well, in a real sense, whitewashed out of their own history completely. And so, um, I think whatever uneasiness any cast and crew may have felt going in, I mean, I, I don't want to speak for anybody else, but I know for me... No, speak for everybody else. That's important. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, I think, you know, I got to kind of uh, get into conversations with a few people about it, but my, my feeling is that anybody that felt uneasy going into it was immediately put at ease if you talk to Ricky for more than five minutes, you're just like, this is a guy who really understands it and loves this city. I mean, he, he's not from here, but he spent, I don't know, a little over a decade here. Um, and he, he was the one from the beginning that was like pushing for this story to be told. Um, and told in the right way, you know, and the fact that, you know, he had the same agent as Idris Elba and that, you know, they were able to connect and that Idris was also then looking for, for stories that uplifted the black community. And, you know, they were able to connect on that level tells me everything I need to know about where he's coming from as a director. You know what I mean? So I was not uncomfortable with it. Um, I felt completely at ease with Ricky telling this story i know that he has probably come up against it already but um i just i think i think what he did was fabulous i really do and i i think um i think people are i think it's going to come across in the film i think people are going to pick up on that i don't think um necessarily that it's going to be a huge deal in terms of like i don't think anyone's going to watch it and be like man did a white man write this like i don't think it's i don't even think it's that feeling at all you know and that's me having not even seen it already just having read it and been a part of it i never got that that sense and also i think you know having lee daniels as an executive producer i don't think you know i don't think he would have let that slide if it had been like that i think he would have gotten his hands on the script and been like these are things we need to change so I can say that watching the TIFF press conference, uh, that's about the only question Ricky was asked. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I kind of feel bad in the sense because I know that's what he's going to be, up, you know, that's what he's going to be asked a lot. Um, and like I said, I mean, he, he always, from my point of view, everything that I ever saw 
saw him do any time I ever saw him speak to anyone or give notes to anyone or share his ideas with anyone. It always came from a place of respect first and, you know, collaboration second. And I just, I appreciate that so much from him because it, you know, I don't want to say it could have been easy for him to just be like, well, it's my movie and we're just going to do it you know, the way I see fit and it doesn't really matter what people think. Um, I never got that sense at all from him. I, I just, you know, he, he loves Philadelphia so much. When you talk about the city with him, just in conversation, his eyes light up. Like he just loves this city. And I'm like, so cool. I'm good with you telling our story then. Like, I'm fine with it. You're coming from a place of respect, not like, look at me, I'm the white savior. You know, here I am bringing your story to the masses. Aren't I great? You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't feel like that. Um, well, there's also the element of both his his short and his uh, feature are about absent black fathers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I think is very interesting. But again... So I think for this film, I'll say, um, yeah, maybe that, that might rub people the wrong way at first. But again, it's like, but this is a story that we know and, and also is still a story that we need to see. Because, I mean, the bottom line is there are a lot of absent fathers out there. There's a lot of absent parents, you know, there's a lot of absent mothers too. Um, but I think when we are able to see a story, particularly a story, you know, that stars brown and black people that shows a family coming together, you know, despite being separated or despite being absent. But when you see a family coming together, um, and that could be your biological family or the family you choose for yourself or whatever. But whenever you see are people really coming together on a screen? That means something. It's a meaningful thing and it's a powerful thing. And you have, you know, one of the uh, most popular actors in the entire world right now portraying someone who, who did walk out on his son and didn't and wasn't there for 15 years. And to have that, you know, high of a celebrity playing a part that shows somebody going through his process of redemption and reconnecting with a son that means something um as an audience member whether you're a person of color or not but it means something when you see that um when you see that story play out in that way it, it it's powerful so i think i think it's a necessary story Okay, the questions are going to get a little harder now, too. Okay, I'm ready. Because <laughs> I, I, I'll say some things that I experienced, and I okay. hope that your film can overcome it. Um, no. So, um, uh, as I said, I made a film not exactly in, in any way like yours, but uh, with a similar kind of casting thought process. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, what I experienced, uh, I remember very specifically... Uh, going to a uh, some sort of celebration that I was brought, an acting teacher brought me to, and I was at a it was at a bar, and there was they were showing some clip from some movie, and I knew some of the people there. I think my director of photography was there, and it was casting some extras parts and other things like that. We'd already started shooting, and I remember going to this this party and uh, hopping around the room mm -hmm. and um, only talking to the black actors. 
mm-hmm. and watching the white people get offended when they learned that you were a director and they would say, Hey, I'm an actor. Don't you want to talk to me? And I would say, no, not really. Um, mm. And, and then I would talk to every other black actor in the room, get cards because that's what I needed the movie to look like. Yeah. Uh, and, and what it underlined became more and more obvious about three weeks later when I was doing the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I realized that there was uh, a, um, there was such a divide. There was such segregation in the Philadelphia acting community. That there's yeah. literally like the white side of it and the black side of it. Um, yes. Yes. A hundred percent. Yes. And I went, <laughs> I went to a party where they were, ho- they were having some event at a, a featuring some people and I won't name names, but, um, and they were celebrating like, you know, they wanted, you know, to push the black actors, blah, 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 blah. And so there I am a white guy and I reckon, and, uh, one of the guys in my film is recognizing he's black and he, he recognizes like, Hey, let me introduce you to his girlfriend who was white. And then there's mm-hmm. another white person in the room. Who's another actor who wants to audition for me, but I have no part for him because he's white. Sure. Um, and the photographer kept trying to take pictures of the three of us, the three white people to make it look like there were more white people in the room than there really were. Cause we were, <laughs> we were it. Yeah. Were yeah. Probably 200 people there. Wow. Um, and I uh, have a very specific memory of a person, um, who is a, 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 you know what? I won't get into who it is. Uh, okay. um, Cause you'll probably know who I'm talking about if I start to describe it. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> but he was somebody I considered a friend and someone who actually approached me once to direct the film and, yeah. and was upset that I didn't offer it to him. Um, mm. And then, uh, uh, but I knew him when I, when, when I was writing criticism and mm-hmm. maybe that's as far as I'll go uh, in describing him, but he yes. saw me at this party and uh, he said to me, uh, with incredulity and uh, like, the, and annoyed at me, said, mm-hmm. "What are you doing here?" Hmm. Uh, and I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Why are you here?" Hmm. And I, I pushed back a little, and maybe I said something I shouldn't. I said, "I hire more black people than you do." Mm. And he never spoke to me again after that. Wow. Um, um, but what I, what I gleaned from that. Um, party was that the segregation was so deep that they they were celebrating their individuality by segregating themselves um, yeah yeah and and it was and and when i listened to who was talking it was so full of hot air mm-hmm. um and and who and what you know there was a speech and it was given by some reality person talking about how they'd been on you know uh it was a guy but he'd been on like you know housewives of something or other sure um, yeah um and, and, and like he'd been on some other shows and I, I, I had no sense of who he was, but you know, I guess we, you know, if I had, if I had been more in that mindset, I would have understood it. Right. Um, uh, but he was just talking about how this is all going to be great and we're all going to be blah, blah, blah. And it's clear he'd been paid to be there and, yeah. and all, these, all these sorts of things um, that to me seemed completely see-through, but um, you know, I wasn't going to spoil anybody's good time. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah. But at, is my is my assessment about how segregated it is is that still correct uh that's a really good question i you know mm, that's a great question i have only really ever experienced that and i have to be careful how i say this in sort of the theater community i'm still sort of new to the film side of it in Philly, um, it's funny because a lot of people are like, well, aren't just 
all actors, just all actors. And I'd say no, especially in Philly, there's, you know, a group of us who are like, I just want to do film. And then there's a very large group that's like, I just want to do theater. And a lot of people don't really do both for some reason. I don't know why. Um, when I was doing more theater, I definitely noticed it there and I felt it there. And I felt it um, in a way that um, was, I think, in some ways very unique because, um, you know, I'm adopted. My parents are white and I grew up in the suburbs. So I know I'm very aware of what I sound like and very aware of what I look like. And so when I first sort of started doing theater in Philly, um, I found it very difficult to be embraced by either community in a way because of what I look like and what I sound like. So I got to be in some ways an observer to that. And I was able to see, um, yeah, I guess I would call it segregation. It's very interesting. The lines are very clearly drawn um, in, in, in Philly in a way that I don't see in New York in the same way. I've not experienced that in New York, but um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's weird. It's weird. You know, I, I, me personally, I've tried to just sort of remove myself from it in the sense that like, look guys, I'm just, I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to stay on my little path and do what I've been aiming to do for the last 25, 26 years. And, you know, if we, if we link up and if we stay friends, cool. If not, you know, it's fine because, I, you know, I was kind of in the heart of that for a few years and it just is very, it's very strange to me, but it's very, it exists. It absolutely exists. I see it. And like I said, I've noticed it more in sort of the theater side of things, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's there. I, you know, I, when I refer to Philly theater to friends and family, I usually do qualify it and say, well, I'm talking about black Philly theater when I'm saying this. I'll say that sometimes to people because I'm like, no, no, you're not getting it. I'm talking about black Philly theater because it's very different. It's a different group of people. It's a different, um, it's a different set of plays. I mean, my goodness. Um, yeah, it's very, it's very separate and separated. Um, I don't know why that is. I don't know why it's still like that. I just know it made me uncomfortable and I was like, well, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be a part of that. <laughs> I don't know. The, the I hope audience, I'm not offending anyone, but I mean, yeah, I've, the, I've no, seen don't, it. don't, don't feel like you have to, the, the audience, uh, uh, I, I can say this, that, that the stories I've just told, I, there's like four or five that I really want to tell that I can't tell. Yeah. Um, same, same. <laughs> that, are, that are really kind of really depressing. Um, because I know exactly what you're talking about, and I'm mm -hmm. assuming you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've it's, seen it on on, on a micro level and a macro level. Yep, um, yep. Uh, I've seen uh, people lie to themselves about the quality of what they're doing uh, mm -hmm. to such a degree that it is stunning. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and I saw it over and over and over. Um, 
And uh, here's, here's the thing I will say, I know when I was auditioning people in Philadelphia, so what I had to do was I first tried to make a movie in Philadelphia, couldn't get the casting I wanted because, because of the segregation and because of the, because there's because there's no no tax credit, nobody works here really. So the right. level of actor is generally not very good, which is again why I'm surprised I've never met you, uh, <laughs> or you didn't send me a tape or something. Um, but uh, uh, there there was uh, several incidents where mm-hmm. um, the lead character in my film is named Coberto, and a, a, a Hispanic man uh, auditioned for the role, mm-hmm. and he called me and he said uh, how. Uh, how uh, thick an accent do you want him to have? Mm-hmm. I said, mm-hmm. do you? I said, do you have an accent? Mm-hmm. And he said, no. And I mm-hmm. said, then don't do an accent. Right. And he said, but but I mean, you know, you're gonna have a little bit, right? I said, no. because oh. you you don't have one. Right. And it's just got to be someone being pigeonholed and just mm-hmm. put as a type, and they don't quite understand that I don't want any of that. Yeah. You know, I don't. The freedom. I don't, Right. I don't have, you know, uh, wait, wait, don't kill me. Opening October 23rd has no stereotypes or cliches as far <laughs> as I could manage it. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes you, you fall into that and, and then, you know, but th- there was a issue with uh, some characters who were gay and, and people on audition would say, how gay is he? And I wanted to say, be like, how, how gay are you? Just how play gay are like you. you. I, yeah. <laughs> The, you know, going towards the stereotype. I, 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 I told this on a different um, show, but, you know, like after the movie, right before COVID hit, right before everything really shut down. I mean, like the next week my, was when like my job that I was working at a nine to five shut down and my daughter's school shut down. So it was like right before that. I was working with a celebrity who had come to Philadelphia to rehearse a movie. Um, and I still don't know what happened to that movie, but they just needed someone to run lines with them for two days. And they called me in. They said, could you do it? I said, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I go in and the first day I'm running the lines. I mean, we're acting it out. Like they, we've, we've rented a little, one of the rooms that actually at Heary Loftus casting actually. So we had one of the rooms up there and we were running the scenes and we're doing it and we're on a break and the director who is a person of color. And so is the actor I was working with says to me, um, oh man, I wish I had met you before, you know, this, cause I would, if, if you were Latina, I would give you the part right now. And it literally stopped me in my tracks because I said, well, I'm sorry, you like what I'm doing. Right. And he's like, yeah, I love it. And I said, and if the only thing that's holding me back is the fact that I'm not Latina, he was like, yeah, I said, I'm sorry, do you not know that there are Latin people who are as dark as I am? And he was like, well, you know, but for the movie, I said, for the movie, what? The movie, what? They all have to look like Sofia Vergara or can they look like me? There's no, there are entire countries. Like, have you never been to Brazil? And he was just like, oh, well, uh," and like hemming and hawing. But it really, it like got to me. And the next day when I went into rehearse. I put a, a slight accent on it um, just for fun, really, because again, Latina people look like me, don't have accents and, you know, they go through life every day knowing they're Latina, but just for, just to kind of stick it to them a little bit. I went in the next day, gave it a light accent. 
um, light Latin accent and did it. And he was like, man, that was flawless. And I was like, okay, I really just want this to be a teachable moment for you because whether I get the part or not, I really need you to understand that the people in your head that you think are, are this are actually so much more diverse there's so many more of, of us, you know what I mean? Like, don't limit yourself um, just because it's it's not the ideal that you think it is. I was, but, you know, it was like, really, we're still dealing with this in 2020 that you don't know that there are Latin people who are dark skinned. I was like stunned by that. And the celebrity that I was working with, um, you know, he's been around for, for a minute. I, I was looking at him like, are you buying this? Like you do know, right? And he was like, oh, I already tried to talk to him about this, but I think I know, you know. who you're talking Basically, about. Basically he kind of washed his hands of it. Yeah. It's just like, really? I okay. <laughs> That's really the first time I ever came up against it like that. Did you have like, the urge when you came in the second day to just go like full charo, like a coochie coochie and stuff? <laughs> I mean, I was like, I'm I'm gonna do an act. Just, just play the stereotype like they want. <laughs> it's funny because, so it was me. It was actually there's a third character in there that's like, um, <laughs> I would have played the I would have played the wife of the celebrity once again, and then we have this kid that he's never known. <laughs> so it was strangely similar to the movie I did, but um, the daughter. It was a daughter this time. The daughter was already cast and she came in on the second day and she had a very thick accent. I mean, she started speaking and at first I was like, okay, no, seriously, is this, is this for real? Or is she like, is she putting that on because she's supposed to be Latina in the, in the script? I actually was like, did he ask her to do that? Because it sounded so out of place. Um, And she was, she was affecting her accent a bit because she'd heard him say to me the day before, you know, Oh, I would have given you the part. It's just that, you know, so she, I guess she felt like she had to up the accent a bit. Yeah. But no, I was like, I'm not going to do that. I, I threw a little bit on there just so he knew that I could, but then I was like, you know, I just, you need to know that there's, <laughs> there's more than just, you know, and no offense to Sophia Vergara. She's beautiful, but they, they all expect them to look like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, we didn't really give you much of a bio before, but if anyone's made it this far into it, I guess we should start. <laughs> <now>. <laughs> uh, I know you did 25 years of theater uh, and other and musicals and stuff like that, but um, how do you adjust to the slower pace of filmmaking? Um, it's weird. I, so I had a hard time with it. I'll be honest. And I've, I've been wanting to make films since I was a kid, but I had a hard time with it because you just have to, you have to sit there and wait and then be ready to go as soon as they call you. So um, music, playing a lot of music helped just keep me in the mindset while I was sitting down, like in my trailer, trying to read, uh, you know, music really definitely helped. I talked to people on the phone too, because I was just like, I, I need you to help keep me in character. <laughs> um, running lines, that kind of thing. You'd think like, oh, I'll take a nap or I'll watch TV or whatever. But then it's like, you're in the costume and the hair. You can't take a nap because you can't wreck your, your clothes or your hairstyle or your makeup. And then 
watching TV, it's like I was too distracted and excited to really pay attention to what I was watching. So that wasn't helpful. Um, but I did listen to a lot of music that was really helpful, keeping me in a mindset. Cause my character was upset the entire time she's on screen. She's always upset. So, um, yeah, that's basically you're, what I you're, did. You're in the beginning of the movie and then the end, I'm assuming. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. I think so, I pop up a little bit in the middle. Oh, I was yeah, going to say like for those, if it ever plays in a the theater and they just want to see you, just, you know, <laughs> take a nap in costume for the middle of the movie, but you're just saying you show up in the middle. I think so. I have a voicemail in the middle somewhere, so you could probably miss it if you really needed to, but don't, because it's so, it's going to be so, I mean, really, apart from me being in the movie, the film is going to be so good regardless. Like, I just, I just want it to do well for Caleb and for Ricky, um, really for those two, because the three of us, did kind of bond over the fact that for for all of us in some way this was like our first huge thing because Caleb hadn't headlined a movie before and Ricky hadn't done a feature before and I hadn't done a movie before either so we all three of us were like oh my gosh I can't believe we're we're doing this like this is it this is real so and Caleb just is like he blew me away in this movie so yeah I hope it I hope it opens doors for all three of us, really. Did, they didn't. You said earlier that uh, they didn't give you much updates. So that you mentioned in an interview about a month ago that Netflix was interested. Is there any yes. result? Anything resolved there? I have not heard a single thing. Do you know I have so many Google alerts set because I'm just like, as soon as somebody, anybody hears anything, like, um, yeah. The last I heard, it was Netflix and a couple others. Uh, I think it was like three or four others that I heard of at the time um, had entered negotiations. But, you know, I didn't even know that it was going to be at another film festival like last week. I had no idea. So uh, this it's like so all over the place. Um, and I wish I knew because I'm just, I mean, like at this point, people are like, Liz, were you really in this movie? Like, were you lying about this? Just, I'm like, no, I swear. Scan your call sheet and send it around. I that's a great idea. Cause I, you know, I have pictures from the set, which I have not been able to share either, because I'm like, when can I put these up? I can't until the movie comes out. But well, are, my they, are, mom they, are they are they like, are they production stills or like casual things? No, they're production stills. Oh, okay. Yeah, so and well, I, I, I think I have one casual picture okay. of like Caleb and I, but the rest are production stills. Oh, taken by the, the actual house photographer? Yeah, well, it was, uh, I got friendly with the uh, hair and makeup people and they would stand by the monitors and sneak me some pictures. So that oh, was okay. nice. That was nice. But my mom was like, I think you photoshopped that picture of you looking at Idris because I just don't, I see no evidence of this list and i'm like no i swear <laughs> you know like because oh. yeah there's not even a trailer out at the moment no is... there's nothing i mean it's bizarre it's bizarre i mean when we were shooting this the whole thing was oh i can't wait till this gets into a theater you know my parents are gonna see my face like 20 feet up like this is gonna be so cool and then you know covid did away with all of that so i really just don't know what's going to happen and when I can see it. But I'm just like chomping at the bit at this point. Uh, let's see. So yeah, I was curious because why, why there hadn't been any marketing material out, but I guess you got to, 
you got to wait. But usually you put out production stills at some point during the process. At some point. Yeah, I'm just, just I'm like, is this process, is it thrown off because of COVID? Or is this the way it happens with indie movies? Like, I really don't know. But it's, it's, <sighs> it's exhausting. I just want to see it at this point. Well, I can tell you that uh, for someone who made the equivalent of a Lee Daniels lunch movie, a budget movie, um, then uh, that you do have production stills and you do put things out and you cut trailers and all sorts of things like that. Um, yeah. Uh, but but if that's if that's their uh, choice in the matter, and Lee Daniels wants to hire me to make a film about a black subject that I know nothing about, I'm I'm more than happy to do it. Yeah, man. You know, <laughs> hey, you never know. You never know. He, I think. I rent. You know what? Like, when I when I met him before, and he won't remember it. I rented him a movie because I worked at the the Lincoln Center Tower Records. Oh my um, gosh! Wow. Um, when that was still a thing. Uh, yeah. I absolutely. I absolutely rented several movies to him. Um, <sighs> Uh, when would that have been? Uh, what was he working on? Uh, uh, the one, the one with um, uh, Stephen Dorff's dick in it. That one. <laughs> and the zebra, and the zebra, whatever that one's called. I'm not sure which one that is. It was his first film. Um, oh. <laughs> it's like it's like a like a, a, a shadow boxer or something like that. Or um, that is so funny. <laughs> it's a zebra and Stephen Dorff's dick. And um, uh, I don't know which one's more visually interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't uh, know. It's, it's, it's Cuba Gooding and Helen Mirren as lovers, and they're like hitmen. And Vanessa Ferlito is like a pregnant lady that they're going to kill. And it's the first movie he directed? directed. Or yeah, yeah, was yeah, like, yeah. yeah. That's crazy. I need to know what this is. Would have been, oh, Shadow Boxer. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you're right. All right. I might, I might have to check that out, not just because of Stephen Dort, but you know. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you, you have the you have the the problem, of course. Um, the Stephen Dorf problem is that whenever you're watching Stephen Dorf, you swear it's Christian Slater. Um, yeah, and, that's so. And funny. then you get into the weird territory of when you watch Uwe Boll's Alone in the Dark, and they're both in the movie playing antagonists, <laughs> and you the universe collapses upon itself. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, they do look so so much alike. That's crazy. They're both they're both doing Jack Nicholson impressions. They both have the same yeah, hairline. That was like the thing, right? For like mm-hmm. up and cumber up and coming nineties actors was to like do imitations of great well, actors. For twenty years, before. everyone did Brando impressions, and then it became, yeah, and then it became let's all do let's all do Jack Nicholson impressions. I wonder what the next is. Everyone going to do like impressions of like The Rock or what? Yeah, I don't know. Well, it would have Joaquin to be, Phoenix. Everyone will get a hair lip or something. Would, yeah, I was gonna say it would either be a Joaquin Phoenix or somebody like, I don't know, really staid and kind of solid like George Clooney. Like I don't know, somebody who doesn't. I mean, do you can't do an impression movie. of that because that's like that's that you can't do a movie star impression, can you? Yeah, that's true. No, it, and he plays like you know, it's like always the same in every. I love you, George, but you're the same character in every movie. I love he's, he's a well, no. He does other things, but but he's really more memorable as a movie star. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And that's absolutely. that's what that is. That's what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he plays something different, like when he played a hitman in The American or or um, in Syriana or or any of that stuff. I um, always feel like he is playing George Clooney in whatever situation his character is in. 
But I'm well, always that's what, like, that's what a movie star is supposed to do. Though. Yeah, that's I guess. <laughs> I guess that's so funny. I mean, his one of his best performances. Nobody likes. So if you if you get a chance mm. to see the remake of Solaris, he's excellent in that. Yeah, a, you know what? A, I heard that too. That's a tough role, but um, but it's a it's a it's a excellent remake. Hmm. Um, uh, yeah, you, uh, there, there. That's the outer space stuff that you got that you need, Gary. Right? The yeah, absolutely. That's perfect for my audience <laughs> <laughs> to talk about that stuff after an hour and twenty minutes of of talking shop about Philadelphia filmmaking. <laughs> I, I didn't know any of this existed in Philadelphia. Yeah, um, I didn't. I didn't yeah. either until I got cast. I was very embarrassed. You know, I'm from like 40 minutes away from there in Princeton, and it's totally different. Yeah, I was like, I grew up here. This is my backyard. This, this, this is real. When I got cast, I said to the person, um, I was like, so this is like a fantasy story, right? And she was like, nope. And I was like, really? And she goes, you've never been in like a cab or an Uber going down North Philly and seeing just a guy on a horse just going by? And I was like, no, I've never seen that. She was like, yep, it's real. So I had no idea. I didn't either. So since we didn't give any background on you <laughs> at all, really, and I was just jumping around on questions. That, see, when I was a film critic, that was my habit is like, this is just for me. I mean... You know, 10,000 people are going to hear it, but who cares what they think? Wait, um, should, should, should we tell people who are interviewing? What did at the beginning? <laughs> but it, if, you, if you came in and you fast forwarded like 100 times, we're talking to Liz Priestley. <laughs> I mean, it's not radio, so nobody does it accidentally. The only way that happens is if you fell asleep with your headphones on, um, which happens to me all the time when listening, true, I fall asleep too, to podcasts. Yeah. And then you wake up and it's like three podcasts later and you're like, oh, I got to remember where I was. Um, uh, so uh, I also uh, lived in Queens for a long time. Where did you live in Queens? Um, Flushing or at, no, Jamaica, right out, right outside of Jamaica, Queens. So how often did you eat the excellent Indian food there? I, you know what? I, so, okay. I lived with a roommate who had like, crazy allergies to anything with a smell so i couldn't have any food that smelled good including indian um oh, so that's like, the, that's like know, the best indian stay, food in the world outside of india i know i i didn't stay in jamaica queens very long because of that situation because i was like i couldn't have like any of the food i wanted to try when i cook i cook with like a lot of garlic i couldn't make any of that stuff in the house i couldn't have like dryer sheets i was like nope can't do it gotta go um so i mean i was only in jamaica queens for like maybe two months and then moved to brooklyn so yeah in um we're in brooklyn i'm blanking on all my names right now well give, only... me, give me a give me a place i spent i lived 30 years in new york i could probably come up with it it's um it's um, Bushwick. Oh my lord! It took okay, me that sorry. long. Bushwick, Brooklyn, and I was there for three months, and mm -hmm. then I got the tour for Seussical the Musical. Oh, okay. Did the tour, and I haven't been I haven't been back to New York since then. But I, yeah, I would be. Like I would again. I am amazed we've never met because I lived in Ridgewood for several years. Oh my god! Yeah. So uh, we would have taken the same subway. Yeah. Yeah. The, okay. the the M or the Z. Yep. Exactly. I took the Z. 
Come on, Gary, contribute to this very specific <laughs> New York like, subway conversation. Oh, man, I, the only thing I ever used was the PATH train. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I've never been on the PATH train. There you go. That's hilarious. Wait, let me ask you a question. Okay, so Gary, you said you're, fr- you're like 40 minutes away from where we shot? Well, I used to, be, I used to live in Princeton. Oh, okay, okay. Have you ever taken SEPTA? No. Oh, me neither. And how do you know about the sign I was talking about earlier? There's a there's a welcome to Nice Town Park sign in my film. It's it's really there. I I get so much flack for like growing up here, living here, and people are like, oh, so you know, and they'll name some like SEPTA bus line, and I'm like, mm, what? I've never taken SEPTA anything. Oh, I, really I, I passed that that sign, you know, every day going into the city on the 23 bus going from Mount Airy through Germantown and then into Broad and Erie. Oh which yeah. Which I realized you, uh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know at all. Cause if you're out in the middle. No, of- I would because I used to work in Mount Airy. I used to work oh, at okay. a gym in Mount Airy. <laughs> which one? Fit life. Ah, well, uh, we have a sticker on our car, my girlfriend and I, that is for that very, <laughs> I think that exact fit life. <laughs> That's so funny. I probably, I've probably met your girlfriend then. I would, I would bet so. Yeah, I, I worked at that gym for a few years. I got to know every single person. I love them all dearly, and they've been so encouraging with this whole movie thing. They are so cute. Everyone at FitLife, I love y'all. Y'all are so funny. They, um, when I left, they're like, "You're gonna be an actress," and I'm like, "Well." Yeah, I've always been. I'm just now trying to, you know, pursue it for real, for real. Um, but they've all kept up with me on Facebook and everything. And I love that area. I loved working there. I did childcare and front desk there. So I probably know your girlfriend. Oh my God, that's crazy. Maybe we actually have met. We just didn't know we were acting people. Maybe that's possible. Who knows? It's probably, yeah. That's crazy. Um. <laughs> Now you just said for real, for real, which is something I only ever hear in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my next door neighbor said it all the time. Yep, I say for real, for real, all the time. <laughs> um, but I mean, when I lived in Germantown, my my next door neighbor said it constantly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so you you teach kids acting over Zoom, is what yes. I heard. Yes. That seems really hard. It's. It is. It's it's challenging. I've had to, I mean, I was teaching in a classroom, obviously, before, you know, COVID, and it was much easier. And actually, it's funny, I designed, a lot of my classes were designed sort of like that auditions class that I talked about earlier. Um, and then, yeah, COVID hit, and we needed to get creative. But I'm actually really enjoying it because of the fact that I've had to be creative. So I'm teaching everything from like I have a six week course in accents. Uh, we're learning different accents. We do, uh, I do a course on voiceovers. Um, have you thought about bringing that fake Hispanic accent into the class so they can start doing that? <laughs> That's actually not one of the accents I teach and thank God, because I don't want to offend anyone, but um, yeah, no, it's, it's fun because, you know, so I have a, I have a 13 year old daughter and she's also a bit of an actress herself and um 
around the house, you know, we're such goofs around the house that, you know, we'll talk to each other in little like British accents all the time. And I eventually she's in my class too. So eventually I was just like, why don't we just do this in our class? Like, why not? Everyone does this at their homes, right? She's like, I don't know. But um, no, it's been a lot of fun doing that. Like we're, we're doing right now I'm teaching. Um, we're going through like the history of film we started in on silent films and we're, you know, having discussions about that. It's fun in the sense that, yeah, I've had to be creative. I've had to change it up. I've had to do some things that are a little different over zoom, but I also like it because there's things I'm doing over zoom that I would never do in the classroom. Like I would never be going over film history and yet I think it's fascinating. They think it's fascinating. Um, so, you know, it's, it's weird. Wait, what do you mean film history? What do you do for that? So we, we just started, this is one I just started. It's my first time teaching it, but you know, we were, I was talking to one of my classes um, a few months ago and I made mention of who was I talking about? I said, um, Oh my goodness. Who was I talking about? Mary Pickford. I couldn't think of her name. Um, I was talking about Mary Pickford and one of the girls in my class was like, who's Mary Pickford? And I was like, oh, well, and then I was talking about, you know, Douglas Fairbanks and talking about, you know, silent films and Clara Bow and like all these people that nobody in my class had ever heard of. And then I was talking about um, like Laurel and Hardy and like buddy movies and things like that. And it just, I was like, you know what? we could stand to just sort of talk about the different eras of film and how things changed and what changed when we went from silent films to talkies and um, you know, how a lot of actors in Hollywood ended up losing their careers because of talkies because they didn't have pleasant voices. And um, I want to talk about, I, I do have quite a bit of students of color in my classes and I want to talk about like why you know, why you don't see us in a lot of the older movies except as, you know, maids and butlers who look super happy to be there and who are like tap dancing their way through, you know, stuff as opposed to, you know, the roles that went to, you know, like Vivian Lee and um, Betty Davis and people of that era. So I just started writing things down about it and thinking, you know, this would be fun to discuss, this would be fun to discuss. And it just, became a list that then just became, you know, a lesson plan, but that's kind of where it started from. So I'm, I'm still kind of figuring out the course as I go. Cause this is the first time I've taught this particular one. But um, like I said, it's not something I would ever have done in the classroom if we were able to meet in person. So in that way, zoom has, you know, been kind of cool because it forces you to be creative as a teacher. I mean, we still do. We work on monologues and we've done um, a play over Zoom. And that was fun because they got to write, you know, my students got to write parts and it was just, you know, it's all new and fun and exciting. And you just have to work with the, you know, what, what you have. You just work with what you, what you have. Uh, well, what, what struck me was, of course, uh, that you, you, uh, uh, practice British accents with your daughter. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm half British and I, my mother still speaks with a British accent, despite the fact that she's lived in New York since 1964. 
Um, wow, and, that's so cool. Where where in um, Britain is she from? Um, Pinner, um, uh, sort of in Middlesex. Oh, okay. And uh, her family still lives in Northwood, I believe. Okay. Um, it's outside London. Um, I like. I love that. Um, but I was curious about your accent because, and I'm going to say, I'm going to say this, but I'm going to have to be vague. Okay. Uh, so, um, uh, I, uh, went to a very famous high school, uh, mm-hmm. in New York yep. and, um, uh, I won't name what it is. Uh, I could probably or, guess. <laughs> uh, there's a TV show named after it. And a movie, uh, right? Uh, no, just a long running TV show. Um, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And I went to school with uh, lots of famous people's kids. Yeah. And some of whom got famous themselves out of nepotism. And <laughs> one of them uh, faked a British accent for three years. Really? Uh, <laughs> yes. How? So, that's <laughs> commitment. How do you even do that? Well, she thought it sounded provincial, I'm assuming. And. Um, she was an awful person and uh, <laughs> she's related to someone very famous and she got famous as a result. Mm-hmm. So she's famous now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm very attuned to bad British accents because I grew up with an actual one and then had been to England a lot. Yes. And um, uh, although I guess not in, uh, not since uh, uh, 2002, but um, uh, certainly I would speak to my aunt and uncle every so often on the phone Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, as I said, I'm attuned to what a, uh, a fake British accent sounds like. Yeah. Uh, so I'm curious what your fake British accent sounds like. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a grade based on what I know it should sound like. Oh man. Okay. Do you, do you need a monologue? Do you need, I, a scrib- I need, some- you need to scribble something up? Hey, I need something to say. Hang on. <laughs> Oh man. And also it depends on where in Britain I'm doing my accent from. Hold on, let me just pull up something real quick. Let's see. I mean you could give it an old Cheerio pip pip if you have to. <laughs> oh, oh pip pip Cheerio. Um well no, I will I'll say something a little more uh a little longer than pip pip cheerio um let's see let me pull up something i can read um okay so this is an email that i got today from the principal at my daughter's school she said good morning this morning during several of our first and second period classes the integrity of approximately a dozen virtual classrooms was compromised. An uninvited and unknown person bombed the classroom and shared some inappropriate images. Kudos to our teachers for quickly dismissing their classrooms and assigning asynchronous work for the remainder of the periods to ensure instruction continued. I appreciate the Cedarbrook teachers' quick and professional response. Uh, so first, I want to congratulate you on on trying to make a, a, a nude Zoom bombing sound very authentic. <laughs> but also, if Gary can bleep the part where you named your daughter's school. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. 
you, you mark that at uh, an hour and 35, hour 37. Can you just bleep that, Gary? <laughs> yeah, I can. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but I give you, I give you a, a 10 for a commitment and I give you an eight for an accent. Oh, cool. Well, I'll take an eight. That works. Okay. <laughs> I'll take an eight. I like that. Yeah, it's, it's fun. It's really, I love accents i really do they sound um like i'm sure you've read in my bio and stuff that i'm also a musician accents to me sound like music um and i don't know if it's because it's like a tonal thing um and i know some accents do that where it's like you know it they are tonal languages where it's like it, it's not so much how you position your mouth, but it's about where you're changing the tone and the pitch of your voice and really kind of like changing up the emphasis. But I just, I love it. I love hearing the different ways that people speak. Um, and I get so upset when people are like, oh, Americans got gypped on the accent. I'm like, well, there's no one American accent. There's a, there's a bunch. There's a lot of yeah. them. There are a lot <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's not and, one. And if, and if, you ha if you had to rank the worst accents, I think it's pretty clear, right? I mean, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's the worst. It's, really not, it's really not close. Uh, I, I, I would say Maryland. Uh, that's a little easier to listen to than Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's really hard to listen to. It's, it's, I love it. I do love a Pittsburgh accent because it's, there's nothing else like it. Right. It's very distinct for sure. I, you know, I like a lot of, um, regionalisms and dialects also. So for me, the harshest one to hear is like that kind of, I would call it sort of the California, you know, like everything's just a bro. Hey, bro. Like it's just, I, I, I cringe whenever I hear this vocal fry. Like I just, it, it, it hurts my ears when I hear people doing that. And I find, well, not so much now, but a few years ago, I found that it was more common on the West Coast, and now I'm starting to hear it kind of drift over, but especially that vocal fry and that baby, that grown baby talk that women do, I just... For years, I, I would hear, and uh, women in Philadelphia, um, younger women especially, they all talk with a lisp, and I didn't know... Oh, yeah. And I, I didn't know I if it was some that. affectation... Or if it would, they thought it sounded cute, and I and I always thought, do you know that it makes you sound like you're nine? Yeah, I. And if there's I, some sexuality element here, it's completely off-putting. It's it's a weird, like adult baby voice that, and I do hear it primarily in women at, or from women, but it's just it's grating on my ears when you know I'm gonna talk. Like well, there's uh, the vocal fry. Do you do you know what I mean by yes. how, the lisp thing that I ah. only ever heard in Philadelphia? Like yeah, th th that thing, and I, and it was so affected that I I couldn't figure out because, um, God, I don't know if I can even tell this story. You know how many times <laughs> that happens to me? I'm like, I can't tell this story in public. Damn it! I know, I know. <laughs> it's it's funny. No, I you know the lisp I hear and like the lispy laughing I hear. The I'm like, oh please, just open your mouth and laugh. Don't do that thing what, that you're mm. doing. But yeah, I don't I don't know. I I I don't I don't I don't quite understand it. I don't understand why you would want to sound like an attractive infant. I don't get it. I, but 
that's the thing. That's well. I, I mean, do. you're suggesting that these infants are attractive. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, so why? Well, we don't. We we, we don't know. I mean, they may be unattractive, and this is a compensation. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we're on the same page on it. I just don't. Yeah. I don't quite understand it. But I don't know. Maybe I'm in the minority on that. <laughs> Anything to add, Gary? I totally agree. I used to work in the call center and take a lot of calls from Philadelphia. So I know exactly what you're talking about. This is most oh, okay. so annoying So my observation ever. is accurate in some way or another? Absolutely. Can't stand it. Yeah. it's Because yeah, it, in my mind, it's it. the, the worst accent is Pittsburgh, then it's Philadelphia, then it's Boston. Um, and then, you know, the rest of it is I found unremarkable in the U.S. The southern, southern accent can be pleasant, so it's okay. It depends. For me, it depends on which southern accent you're talking about because i i don't mind sort of the soft lilting of like a georgia Mm -hmm. alabama ish some parts of alabama um accent but for me like a like a dallas accent is harsh to me or like a tennessee accent is harsh to me um florida Oh, that's rough. I don't mind yeah, that's, Florida depend, depending on where you are in Florida, it can be very rough. <laughs> yeah, it depends. It, it depends. Yeah, absolutely. It depends. Yeah, if you go through the I mean, in the Carolinas, some yeah, parts in of Panhandle, Carolinas. it sounds like cigarettes and venereal disease. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's you know, so your venereal it's, disease of choice, really, it doesn't mean that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, there's some there's some American accents I can totally I could listen to all day, and then there's others I'm like, oh no 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 stop stop what you're doing just stop talking um but it's like that you know it's like that with british accents there's many many british accents even you know i can't stand when i go into auditions and they'll say um can you can you do this in an african accent and i immediately am like which one because they think there's one standard african accent and i'm like do you you do realize they want you to do they want you to do roots and you know they want you to do roots (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like where in africa am i coming from because you know and i've done several but uh, you know but they it's like i do get that a lot in 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 audition breakdowns i'll get like uh such and such, and such african accent required and i always email back from where because it's like saying an american accent from where like i don't I, that makes no sense to me from where you know what i mean like if i'm gonna do um an accent like from from someone from africa well a south african accent is entirely different than pretty much the rest of africa right. so it's like <laughs> you really can't just say african accent and be like oh yeah sure that and and if you if you see South African, they're all just doing the villains from Lethal Weapon Two. <laughs> there is no exception. They're all just doing that. <laughs> I guess Joss Ackland, who plays the lead villain in that, the one who has the diplomatic immunity yeah. line, is is pretty much everybody's impression go to of the of the South African. Yeah, so I'm like that that doesn't make sense. I get that all the time in auditions. Please have an African accent. What does that mean? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, anybody who writes that in there hasn't really it doesn't just thinks in generic terms. But I guess well, if if any if I hope that anybody who who takes something from this interview uh, apart from how wonderful and patient you've been, Liz, <laughs> uh, my probably off-kilter questions that I apologize for going on these tangents. No. Uh, it's all um, good. 
but uh, that that uh, uh, the 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 segregation in uh, and and the non-thinking way things are described in auditions, and uh, that uh, uh, white privilege A is real, and, <laughs> <laughs> and very <laughs> and B and B uh, 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 you know um, people who write these sorts of things are are not thinking that there might be different dialects um, and that there is no sensitivity, you, and then they all think in stereotypes and cliches. You know, I'll, I'm I'm going to end with this story, but this when I when we were talking about. Um, African accents in my accent class, right? And I, somebody brought up Black Panther and I said, you know, the Black Panther movie is a great movie. I loved it. I'm glad we have it. But if you ever go back and watch it in detail, you'll notice that every single person in that movie has a different accent. And I pulled it up and we watched a scene. I said, there's going to be four different accents in this scene and two people are related and one person is playing a younger version of another character. So their accents should be the same. And they weren't. They were all over the place. And I did a little digging and I found out the dialect coach on the Black Panther was this white woman from Chicago who wrote a book about how to do African accents. And it's like the only book out there. So she's considered the expert on it. But apparently... You know, she showed up on set and they said, oh, you know, a lot of our background and extras are, you know, actual native African people. And she said, I'm going to let them do their own thing and speak their own languages. And I'll just work with the leads on their accents. And I was like, so at no time did it occur to you to match their accents with the people who were literally from the countries that this movie is supposed to take place in and have actual, literal, real accents? You didn't think to match them up with that? No, you just went and did your own thing according to, I'm not sure what, because I, I'm, I'm hoping that both of, in that movie has a different accent. I hope both of you could hear my audible cringing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love that movie so much, but I think that in and of itself, does it a, a huge disservice and they count on the fact that most people aren't paying attention to the accents to really be bothered by it and it for me it was like one of the first things I noticed when I watched that movie it was like why is his accent different from his sisters aren't they supposed to be from the same family and then their mom comes in and she's speaking something totally different I was like hold up hold up hold up <laughs> who where are y'all from <laughs> like yeah I think it does such a disservice to not hire someone from there and 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 not even like give any regard to the people in the movie who are from there i mean i that's stunning to me well gary she uh she there was an indication that we should wrap up and i oh agree. no i was I like, i'm saying that's i agree my with, last, I, I agree with that premise story i'm gonna we, tell it's an hour and 47 minutes <laughs> Um, and and uh, you know we'll, we'll all get our plugs in, and then uh, you want to sign off. That's fine. Yeah, that's good. This is awesome. Thanks for being on. I, uh, I love I love it when an interview goes like this. I know this has been really fun. I could do this all day. Don't let me. I'm sorry. We could make this podcast go like another three hours with all the stories I could tell. I really. Well, I've, I've done a four hour podcast where it's just me talking almost the entire time. So. <laughs> I, yes, actually, you, can, you, you you can listen to it um, <laughs> if you 
it's me telling a, a Chris Rock story and then telling a story about teaching in in uh, the Bronx and then teach you know like every conceivable thing about laser discs or making films <laughs> or or going to Cuba or you know just but for four hours and I just you know it was started at nine in the morning and we went till about one thirty. I think you know I think it was an interruption at some point but yeah the whole running time is about three hours and forty five minutes. Wow! So, so I put in an app. Awesome. I put in an application recently with Guinness to break the world's record for longest podcast. So I'll use you. Oh no, you can't, you can't do it. Cause, cause, um, uh, Eddie F used to do, and, and Jim Jeffries would do the 24 hour podcast. So no, that's going to be 40. <laughs> uh, who's who's going to manage it? I mean, uh, Griffin Newman and, and, uh, and, uh, what's the other dude doing the, the George Lucas podcast where they do, where they watch like all the star Wars movies for like 30 hours straight. I mean, you're not going to beat that. I, I can go oh longer than goodness. that. Live podcast doing that? That sounds yeah. exhausting. That's that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, let's get our plugs in and then uh, sign off or something. <laughs> <laughs> or something. <laughs> so I don't know. Who plugs let's first. Get, your, get your plug in. You know what? Hold on. You're the guest. I'll I'll plug mine first so you go last. Okay. So my film, Wait, Wait, Don't Kill Me, a horror comedy about a viral pandemic in inner city Philadelphia. Uh, uh, Already opened in August, but is virtually streaming um, starting this Friday or depending on when you release this, Gary, uh, October 23rd uh, at the Lemley Theaters uh, website on their website, lemley.com. You can go to waitwaitdontkillme.com because it'll always say where the movie is playing. Uh, the trailers available, TV spots, all that stuff that should be up before a movie comes out. Hint, hint. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, yeah, so it starts on October 23rd. You'll be able to stream it on that website uh, uh, from from your home, wherever you are. Uh, I don't believe there's any U.S. restrictions uh, uh, if you're overseas, if you're hearing this overseas. Um, it is a, a mix of uh, horror and comedy, uh, and it is about basically what we're going through right now because in the film um uh the virus gets loose and um uh it causes massive dehydration and uh people start attacking each other for their uh bodily fluids and one of the attacks is caught on a viral video and uh the military goes into the local hospital to try to slow it down and they realize they can't slow it down uh so they fence off a uh, nice town and everywhere else to let everybody die and it's about the people who are left there to die and the reason they are okay with them dying is because they're black and brown and poor. Um, and they're only interested in um, uh, keeping the announcement of how high the death count is and not getting that leaked to the press. Um, and I totally did not make this movie uh, in the last two weeks. Um, <laughs> uh, it was in fact shot a while ago and written a while ago. And uh, it is just a weird coincidence Um that makes a movie that was supposed to be funny a little less funny than it was intended. Um, so some of the scenes are really eerie and uh, I don't apologize for it, but you know, I'm warning you, I guess. <laughs> uh, but, but the, the movie is weird and sweet and uh, uh, awkward and uh, odd and surreal. And uh, I'm sure you all hate it. So go, go watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Return list. My turn. Um, oh man, my plug is nowhere near as interesting or as long. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> plug your I... Zoom classes, whatever. 
right. Well, so first and foremost, I I will be making my film debut in Concrete Cowboy coming out. I have no idea when, but hopefully what I'm being told is very early 2021. So I will say super early 2021. Look for it. Um, that's the first thing. Second thing is, yes, I do teach acting classes um, through ICANN Entertainment, and it's ICANN spelled A-I-K-A-N is in Nancy. Um, but uh, yes, I teach, I teach through there. I teach uh, preteens and teens on Wednesday evenings and Saturday afternoons. So if you are interested in learning about acting and we do all kinds of different things besides just acting. We learn about the history of the arts and all kinds of different things within the industry. So look for me on there. And then as far as social media, I'm very boring. I just have a Facebook. So you can find me under Liz Priestley or you can follow me on imdb.com under Liz Priestley. But I'm sure that'll change at some point. I'm sure I'll get an Instagram and start taking pictures of things like my food or whatever. But <laughs> I just I don't see the point. Nobody really cares what I eat in life, so I don't feel like anyone's going to care online. But we'll see. Who knows? But that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you both of you for coming on tonight. Absolutely. Thank you. This is so fun. <laughs> yeah, this is awesome. This might be one of my best episodes yet. Do you need me to come in and pinch hit occasionally? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I do have a few more actors coming up. <laughs> actors are fun people. We, you know. uh, my, like my, my main thing is paranormal and strange. Alien is a shit like that. <laughs> I mean, I do like all the paranormal and strange stuff too. So, I mean, we'll have to talk about that sometime. But yeah, actors are fun. Don't be scared of us. <laughs> We're just random. I'm just learning how to interview actors through listening to this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you guys, I thought you guys did very well. You were, you were especially Adam's a good genius. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you loved what you listened to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.